I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's phenomenal episode, I got to have my dear friend, Mr. Max Lugaver, on the show. Max has recently been endowed with the title of New York Times bestselling author, Max Lugaver. Uh, his most recent book, highly recommend you guys checking that thing out. It's called Genius Foods. I've been posting it up on all the, the stories on the, on the gram and such. So hope you guys enjoy that book. It's got heaps of fantastic information. In this conversation, we get into uh, nutritional psychiatry and uh, the power of language, how we can be more immaculate with our language. You can hear me stumbling through my introduction. You probably you could probably use a little bit more genius food in my life. Um, really good conversation. He has a phenomenal story of uh, his mother's struggle with dementia and just a really heartfelt story to inspire him to be on this, this journey. So really appreciate Max in this world and I think you guys will as well. Here is a little clip. Most of these chronic diseases that are burdening society, and I'm particularly passionate about dementia, obviously, but these begin decades usually before the diagnosis or the first symptom. Thank you so much for tuning in to the website. If you are drawn to that, it is at aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will find the show notes for this and the rest of the episodes, and you can start the five-day movement challenge. Start integrating the most optimal movement into everything that you do to become more flexible, pain-free, strong, and... Uh, all of your heart's desires guaranteed to come true if you start hinging at your hips. Guaranteed fact. Um, I have a little review. If you guys send us reviews, we will send you out a box of something from Organifi, our show sponsor. You can utilize Organifi, uh, our Align code on the Organifi website for 20% off their stuff. Five stars. Align podcast is legit from Board Chart. Aaron Alexander really knows his stuff, and this podcast is filled with great info to improve yourself in a variety of ways. Love it. Exclamation point. Um, send us reviews. It's so flipping easy. You can just do it on your cell phone now. So literally, it's like probably 15 seconds. Get on the cell phone, press review. It's probably one of the most helpful things you can do to support this podcast if you're into that kind of thing. Um, no quotes today. We're just going to get right into this thing with Mr. Max. Check out his book, Genius Foods. And random unnecessary challenge for the day and or the week. Reach out to at least three people that you haven't reached out to for a bit and uh, express your gratitude for them in your life. Why not? Just do it. Um, thanks so much. If you guys ever have any questions, comments, ideas, or anything, uh, reach out to us at Align Podcast on the Instagram page, and we will get back dynamic. All right, here we go. Back to the show. Biggity, biggity, pow. Align Podcast. Ready to go. Feel aerodynamic. You are. Feeling spacious. I'm pressed record. Recorded. Record's officially happening. As you already know, I don't do any kind of introduction. Anything that you don't want to include in here we can just edit out just sitting here shooting the shit i like it 
Shooting that shit. I like it. I like How long have you been pondering on doing a podcast? Is that oh, a new, man. A new evolution? Re- yeah, I really, well, the thing is I accumulate, at this point I've accumulated all these interviews, um, but they're video in format, and so it would be pretty easy for me just to like extract the audio. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I also, you know, some of them are edited, so I kind of want there to be a consistent, unedited feel. I really like your podcast. I like, uh, thanks, I like that sort of seamless unedited vibe so it also gives you a really great window into having conversations like intimate conversations with people that you just wouldn't have we're so damn goal oriented with things sometimes it's like we're meeting for a purpose yeah this like i see it as as like a like a therapeutic experience yeah it's cool i mean and you're all you're already connected with such amazing people and having such great conversations, why not record them just to let the world kind of be a fly on the wall? Yeah, for sure. So we got this book. Yeah, baby. So normally I do excessive amounts of research and all that stuff, and but we I found out literally last night <laughs> that we're going to do this today. Yes. So I don't know anything about the book. I love it. But I I'm like excited that. to learn about it. Cool. <laughs> I'm excited to tell you. Genius that. feuds. Feuds? Feuds. That's how do you pronounce that word? That's a different book. That's the follow-up. Okay, good. Yeah. You this pronounce that word foods. Foods. Okay. Genius foods, baby. What's that what's that shit all about? Man. Well, <laughs> so the last time I was here and the last time we had this conversation, and by the way, I'm super grateful to be back for a second time. Of course, anytime. Podcast, man. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um the first time I was on here we talked a little bit about my documentary project, which is called Breadhead. And uh, we really talked about my motivation for doing that. And that is that um, my mom has dementia. And that was a very traumatic thing for me to have to come to terms with. Um, I basically used my background in journalism to learn everything that I possibly could about how diet and lifestyle mediate a person's risk for neurodegenerative disease. And that led to me creating this film, which really gave me the excuse to go around the world and talk to some of the top researchers in the field that are publishing what's called primary literature basically elucidating uh, just how much control we have over our cognitive health. And that really is what began my journey. And when you watch the film, which it isn't out yet, but it's really sort of story strong and, and heavy on the emotional narrative of, you know, being a son and watching your mom uh, descent into the, you know, the madness that, that really is dementia, which is a horrible disease. Anybody, anybody who's ever seen it up close will, will attest to that. But, Over the course of the journey um, and putting into practice the dietary and lifestyle principles that I was learning about, um, I basically stumbled upon this sort of hidden insight that the same things that you can do that'll ultimately shield your brain against dementia and the modern world also make it work better in the here and now. So I, I basically, in Genius Foods, it's a highly prescriptive guide that brings together the best latest evidence when it pertain, you know, as it pertains to dementia prevention, um, but also weaves into the narrative um, all the best evidence on this burgeoning field called nutritional psychiatry, which a very select group of PhDs and clinicians are really focused on looking at the role of diet and lifestyle in um, our mood and our predilection for mood disorders and anxiety disorders and, and, and the like. And then also this other sort of nebulous field, I, I don't really have a, a name for it. I just call it cognitive optimization. It's a field that looks at how um, diet and lifestyle, various nutrients and foods 
uh, affect cognitive function in young and healthy people. So, you know, I've, I've obviously read all there is to read um, in terms of the latest dietary interventions on patients with mild cognitive impairment, Alzheimer's disease, dementia, Parkinson's, things like that. But there's also this, this growing body of evidence where researchers are really looking at young, healthy people who are often considered to be at their peak cognitive prowess and looking at how certain nutrients um, basically affect the way that their brains work. And there's a, there's a really strong body of evidence to say that, well, we can eat certain foods that make our brains work better, improve executive function, improve working memory, processing speed, things like that. And these are all aspects of our cognition that are heavily related to our overall success, um, more so probably than even IQ. So Genius Foods really is sort of the, what I, what I consider to be the definitive amalgamation of all these different lines of research written into one cohesive story so that people can finally understand um, how these things actually do affect their health and their, uh, more, I guess more importantly to, to most people is how they feel in the here and now. Mm. You just call it nutritional psychology? Psychiatry. Psychiatry. Yeah. What's that, what does that look like? Well, so, I mean, it's basically, it ranges from taking patients with major depression um, and seeing how a dietary intervention might affect their symptoms. Um, and it ranges, and it also, I would say, includes, um, you know, people who haven't been diagnosed with a depressive disorder and seeing how various dietary interventions affect their just overall anxiety um, and the like. So one of the hallmark studies that I cite in the book was actually, it's brand new, published in 2017. It was the world's first ever randomized control trial that used a dietary intervention to treat patients with major depression. So they found that in the dietary intervention group where they put patients on a diet that was sort of a modified Mediterranean diet focused on dark leafy greens, um, eggs, uh, extra virgin olive oil, um, fruits, uh, fatty fish, things like that, they found that 33% of the um, patients in the dietary intervention group actually reached remission compared to only 8% in the um, in the placebo group that got standard of care. Oh. So this is really important because we've known in the literature that there's a, a strong connection between depression and eating unhealthy foods, but what wasn't um, fully understood was the direction of causality, like a link can only prove correlations, right? They can't, they, a link cannot prove causation. So when you hear things in the mainstream media, like there's a link between, so, you know, X and Y, or there's an association or a relationship between X and Y, those are basically correlations. But this study was the first to really highlight a potential direction of causality. They took these patients that had pretty crappy diets and that were severely depressed. They improved their diets and they found that by improving their diets, Diet seemed to sort of act like an antidepressant, which is really great because the latest uh, analysis of, um, you know, efficacy when it comes to SSRIs, which are the most commonly prescribed antidepressant drug, is that they're not much more effective or they're no more effective than a placebo in most cases, right. meaning mild to moderate <laughs> depression. So, it, you know, these drugs do seem to work um, in patients with major depression. So I don't, you know, I don't uh, discredit them altogether, but I do think that when having the option to use food, which does not have any negative side effects, unlike SSRI drugs, um, I think it's a really compelling thing that people ought to know about. Yeah. 
I was that that's so it's it seems like in most cases it's like almost like fifty fifty where the it's placebo or the actual medication was the thing that worked. Yeah. And so with with that, you don't get to see in how many instances that the medication works because of the placebo as well. So I think that right. the percentage actually be much higher. Well that's the thing, yeah. I mean the placebo is a the placebo effect is very strong. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Oh, that's that, awesome. Yeah. It's great. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's like so much better that that's the case. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless, unless you're getting, you know, a negative effect as well, you know, from the act from the drug that you're taking. Well, the nocebo. Yeah. The nocebo. The nocebo means to do harm. To do harm. Placebo, placebo means to do, to do good. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. I, I, re I, I read. It's good. <laughs> yeah. It's good. You know your stuff. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but yeah, SSRIs are, and I have person all the things that I write about in the book. By the way, I have personal experience with, so I'm not just talking, you know, out of my butt. Like I, I um, my mother, uh, before the diagnosis of dementia, you know, a psychiatrist believed that all of her symptoms um, stemmed from depression. I think this is very common for women. Uh, then, you know, the, the, the stereotype of the hysterical female, you know, I think m might at least partially explain the fact that why, you know, one in four women in their forties and fifties are on some kind of antidepressant drug. Mm. Um, and so my mom was put on one of these antidepressant drugs and what they don't tell you, there's no informed consent for these kinds of things. They, they don't tell you when they put you on one of these drugs that they're essentially impossible to come off of, um, they, you know, there's a whole website dedicated to helping people, uh, you know, get around Zoloft withdrawal because it can be so difficult to come off of all the side effects. Mm. Um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not anti pharma or anything like that. You know, if there were a pharmaceutical available tomorrow that I could give my mom that would serve as a cure for her, I would, I would get it in a heartbeat. But I also think that um, we're too quick to, f and doctors, I think are too quick to write prescriptions and we're also too quick to fill them. Um, when it, when it comes to things that might be, uh, you know, mediated by our diets and our lifestyles. Yeah. So what foods stand out for you that would not fall in the, under the, the, the purview of, <laughs> of, uh, placebo? Yeah. So, you know, I think definitely, um, well, in Genius Foods, we basically, we highlight all the foods that uh, have a strong body of evidence as being b beneficial and protective to the brain. So I would say, you know, number one for me, I, I love avocados. I'm a big fan. I know being in California, I'm sort of preaching to the choir, but they're an all-in-one Genius Food. Um, they have twice the potassium of a banana. They're a very low-sugar fruit. They're packed with monounsaturated fat, which is, I would say, of, you know, the, the three major dietary fats, monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, and saturated, their monounsaturated fats are the, are the ones that seem to be the most beneficial when consumed liberally. They also are packed with carotenoids. So carotenoids are really exciting to me because two of them in particular, well, three of them actually, I'm a big fan of lutein and zeaxanthin, which are two carotenoids that are found in very high amounts in avocados and also kale, uh, that have been shown in a University of Georgia study to boost brain processing speed, visual processing speed by 20% in young, healthy students, mm. which is very exciting, again, because we often consider ourselves, you know, when we're young to be at our cognitive peak, right? But this offers the, the possibility that by eating foods rich 
in lutein and zeaxanthin, we might actually uh, improve the way that our brains work in a, in a really sort of, I would say, effortless and also um, side effect free way. You know, usually there's, there's no such thing as a biological free lunch when it comes to affecting the way that our brains function. But when, you know, that might be as easy as, as eating an avocado, I think, you know, there's no risk, all gain. Yeah. Um, wild salmon, uh, you know, is another really, I think, beneficial food. Um, and what, and you know, a lot of people know that wild salmon is rich in, in fats like EPA and DHA, which are very beneficial. DHA is the most important building block for the brain, uh, or one of the most important building blocks. Um, but wild salmon is actually a great source of another carotenoid called astaxanthin, which I've become kind of obsessed with. Uh, astaxanthin is a marine carotenoid. So unlike lutein and zeaxanthin, which are found in colorful plants, astaxanthin is found in lobster, crab, shrimp, krill, um, and wild salmon is what gives wild salmon its like rich characteristic red color. And it's been found to be very good at promoting neurogenesis, shielding your uh, neurons from oxidative stress and free radicals. Um, really beneficial to eye health and actually also really good for uh, the health of your skin too. Are vegans lost? <laughs> <laughs> like what's this? Because I know yeah. some people that, that are vegetarian that seem pretty healthy. Um, it's an interesting yeah. conversation. It's like, well, I think it's kind of th- like the Christian. Con- I remember growing up, my friends would be like, you know, like, oh, that was the turning point for me with with religion. One of my buddies who I had so much respect for. Yeah, I'm like, he sat me down one time. We were high, and we <laughs> sat. We were in his car. We were like 16 years old. He's like, so Aaron, like, do you think I'm going to hell? I'm like, and I looked at him like. Yeah, <laughs> man. I'm like, I'm like, oh god, wait, hold on, I gotta think about this. Wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I don't know so much about that, but um, I will tell you, I get asked a lot about you know the vegan diet and lifestyle. I don't think that it's the ideal diet for the human brain um, because, you know, the, I don't think there's a single researcher that believes that the brain evolved, you know, under a you know, while consuming a vegan diet. In fact, researchers believe that um, it's not just access to meat, but cooked meat, actually, that catalyzed the growth of our brains. That meat provided a really dense burst of nutrients, highly bioavailable nutrients and calories, um, as well as readily accessible uh, EPA and DHA fat, DHA in, in particular, that helped grow our brains mm-hmm. from, um, you know, our primate ancestors. So... Yeah, I mean, I do think it's it's possible to eat a brain optimal vegan diet, but yeah, from a from a health standpoint, I don't really think that it's uh, ideal. I think that you can make a, a moral argument for for veganism, and I don't really engage in those kinds of discussions because morally, you know, I love animals, and I, I feel a little bit of uh, you know at least a little bit of cognitive dissonance over the fact that I eat them, um, hmm. and you know, like it it doesn't escape me that it's that most animals are killed in what is essentially like an animal Auschwitz every single day in the United States. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but I try to vote with my wallet. I don't eat a ton of meat, but I, uh, you know, I definitely, um, I think that by supporting local farmers that, that treat their animals kindly, actually in the book, I, I highlight, I kind of create a rule that I think is really, um, worthwhile. I say, you know, only get your meat from, uh, from farmers that abide by the one bad day rule. So a lot of, a lot of, um, 
farmers will basically pride themselves on the fact that their animals have only had one bad day. Mm. You know, they're basically raised happily their entire lives on the pasture where they get to eat what it is that they actually want to eat. Um, they're not confined in crates. And then they have essentially one bad day, which is the day that they're, um, you know, killed for food. But, uh, you know, most of, most of the animals, most of the meat that's consumed in the Western world, animals, every single day of an animal's life is a bad day. Yeah. And so I think that that's uh, an important, you know, distinction you ever heard of the the it's uh, is it mongolia oh i was just talking about this on the aubrey marcus thing i think mongolia let's call it mongolia we'll have to look it up yeah okay but when people die they take the body up to the top of a mountain and they chop it up into pieces no way. and then uh, vultures and birds oh. come and and eat the body and they take it it's like part of the circle of life wow yeah so from our perspective living in this western world we see that as like being probably barbaric and terrible. You cut the body up and you know all that. But in reality, uh, I think our perspective on, on death is really immature. Hmm. <laughs> you know, we like, it's almost like college when you're in high school and like drunk and don't know what to do with the next afterlife of out of high school. You're like, yeah. oh, I'll go to college. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I think we still kind of have that same relationship with death <laughs> where it's like, instead of it's like this circular motion where you go into the next, it's like, let's, put some makeup and do some embalming fluid or we'll put you in a box and try to kind of like delay that. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> There's, I was on the Nat Geo um, Instagram feed the other day and there was a, uh, there was some really crazy surreal photography. There's a, there's a ritual in a small town. I don't know where it is. Maybe, maybe you've seen it, but they basically take, the corpses of their deceased and they dress them up and they basically have them hanging around the house. Right. I've yeah. seen that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the same place as all the chopped up bodies. It's crazy. We'll yeah. They were, they weren't chopping up the bodies. They were actually like dressing them up, putting makeup on them and like allowing them to dry out. Yeah. They that's hang nice. out with them. Yeah. They hang out with them. That might be as creepy as ours. It's pretty creepier. Pretty crazy. <laughs> I think we talked about this on the last time on the last <laughs> podcast where I mentioned that my favorite show of all time is six feet under, uh. which basically is about that. You know about the the rituals that we have surrounding death, um, but yeah, it gets it gets pretty crazy. I don't know how I feel about making sushi at a grandma. Mm. That would be that would be kind of weird. Probably some good brain food in there. Maybe. Jesus. Maybe. Tha. Yeah. Did you ever hear? There's a Ellen Langer is a lady who she's she's been on here. She's tremendous. She's uh, did a study called Counterclockwise slash book called Counterclockwise, hmm. and so she brought a bunch of people there in like their 80s, I believe, and they put them in this um, mock reality where they turned the clock back 20 years. And so everyone during that time, they changed the newspapers, they changed the football games, they changed everything. Wow. And then for that week, they had to play as though it was 20 years ago. Hmm. What they found was by playing this this game for for a week, they found people's fingers started to get longer. They found that their spines started to get longer. Wow! You know, so arthritis, all those things, they started to kind of they started to regress. Wow! Uh, they found that their vision became sharper. They found that their memory became better. You know, so it's it's, it's, it's very interesting. Just the we have so many common, I think that kind of like you're saying, like nutritional psych psychiatry, psychiatry. Yeah. I feel like it's, we have all these amazing prongs that are kind of creeping up on this, the deeper stuff. Uh, but then you see something like that where it's like, Oh my God, just us playing house for a week. Yeah. <laughs> had all these similar effects. Yeah. What the hell's happening? 
it's it's super interesting. <laughs> I mean, that's why there's. I mean, the the, the healthy lifestyle is so multifaceted. Like yeah. people, and pe- I love that people. You know, there's these superheroes in the space, like focus on these like little niche areas. Like you're one of them. Like focusing on movement and um, the functional lifestyle. I think it's incredible. I happen to geek out hardcore on nutrition and you know various various aspects of lifestyle. But I think you can't. You at the end of the day, like they're all such important parts of the of the puzzle. You know, mm. I mean. If you're, you could be eating the the best diet ever, shopping at Whole Foods or whatever, you know, wherever you get your organic food, healthy food, while, you know, being incredibly lonely and depressed, which loneliness has been shown to actually change the expression of your genes. And that's, you know, or like eating really healthy and, and not having a healthy way of dealing with stress or sitting at your desk, you know, while your hip flexors just tighten and contract all day. Like these are all, um... Yeah, we, I mean, you know, ideally we need to cater to all of it. And I think that really is, it's a testament to just how mangled our modern lifestyle has become Hmm. when compared to the conditions during which our bodies and our brains evolved, you know? Yeah. So I try to look at the brain and sort of, you know, through the lens of evolution, like what, what the brain requires today when we consider you know, what it was like, you know, in our ancestral world when the brain evolved. Um, and I think it's possible. I do think it's possible to uh, try to emulate at least a little bit of that today. But it does take it takes some effort. Yeah. This is going to be another another out there one. But have you heard the stoned ape theory before? Refresh my memory. Yeah. I th- <laughs> okay. I've, I've definitely. So from what I gather, I think 200, I was reading this this morning, so this, this number is here, I promise, but I think 250,000 years ago was around the, the time that they, they deem that our brain started, started yeah, that's exploding how long we've been in size and humans, all that right? stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you could say that's because we started cooking food and we started getting all the adequate fats that we needed. Now we had the potential for, you know, our neurogenesis and all the terms. Uh, but then another thing, another component of neurogenesis and, um, what is it called? Synaptic potentiation. All these things happen in your brain through using, uh, psilocybin as an example, you know, various different, you know, like LSD is considered a nootropic, you know, and so it's the, the stoned ape theory is essentially that we stumbled upon these various plants like the burning bush in the mm. Bible yeah. and the acacia tree, which is, has DMT, um, you know, and so we stumble upon these plants, which end up creating this potential for new neural pathways to manifest. And, uh, have you had experience with, with psychedelic stuff? Um, I don't know if you talk about that. Maybe not. We can cut talk, it out too I, or whatever. No, I talk about it. I talk about it a little bit in the book. Um, oh, good. in one Perfect. of the later chapters. Yeah. I talk about just sort of the, um, well, cause I have a whole chapter on how to optimize neurotransmitters. And I talk about the fact that, you know, a lot of the thing, a lot of the practices and compounds that humans have gravitated to across cultures, uh, kind of work their magic by tinkering with the way neurotransmitters work in the brain. So mm-hmm. everything from caffeine to alcohol to sun exposure. Um, and I also use very, uh, you know, I guess common examples of, um, like psilocybin mushrooms, cocaine. I mean, all the, we, whether or not you do them, and I'm not recommending that people go out and, and try these substances, <laughs> but basically people know how they make you feel based, based on what we are able to glean from pop culture and, uh, the like. And so I just, I reference how 
these drugs work. And so psilocybin is one of those things where it seems to sort of act like an agonist to your serotonin receptors. Um, basically like cheating them out essentially, like, like acting like a lock and key scenario. And yeah, I mean, I think, um, I'm really interested. I, you know, I, there was really good research that was done jointly between Johns Hopkins and NYU where they, um, used pretty high dose psilocybin on patients with, uh, terminal cancer to, to treat their depression essentially. And they found that just a single dose was good enough to mitigate depression symptoms for six months, which is profound. Mm. Um, and I don't think there were any negative side effects. Uh, you know, I've, I, I'm definitely interested. Um, I know a lot of people that swear by them, uh, you know, everything from microdosing to taking higher doses. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to see the, uh, the research continue to unfold. Where's sleep come into the conversation around dementia and brain health? Yeah. I mean, sleep is a big part of it. That's why, you know, as much as I want to geek out about nutrition, you know, there are lifestyle factors that are, that are just as important. So sleep is, they've recently discovered this system called the glymphatic system, which, um, they've named because it kind of resembles your lymphatic system, which is the network of ducts, um, and vessels throughout your body that basically acts as a sort of waste disposal system. Um, this system actually becomes active when you're sleeping and it swooshes cerebrospinal fluid around cleaning your brain of these proteins, these toxins that build up during the day. So one of them is this amyloid precursor protein that, um, is associated with Alzheimer's disease because it can clump and form plaques that, uh, are characteristic of the disease. And so, it's been found that by sleeping, we our brains actually become sort of like a dishwasher. Yeah, I say a douche. A douche, yeah. Douching out the beta amyloid plaque. Douching it's out. It's probably beta. not an accurate analogy. And beta amyloid plaque. That's not how you say it, is it? That's amyloid plaque. Yeah. Amyloid. Beta amyloid plaque. Why do I yeah. say beta? Is beta right? It's yeah. It's <laughs> people people say amyloid beta, beta amyloid. It's yeah, pretty interchangeable. Yeah. But yeah, beta amyloid is the uh, is the protein. So we're douching it out. We're douching it out. Very important. Good. Um, yeah, sleep is really important. I think they've they, they have observed signs of neuronal injury, like injury to your brain cells after just one night of poor sleep. Um, it's really important, and it's also important yeah. not just in terms of its direct impact on the brain, but in terms of regulating your hormones, which are basically the master controllers when it comes to your cravings. So this is really important because you know dietary change is one of the most hard, one of the most difficult things for most people to do. And right. we like to think that we have free will, right? And making a change is as simple as just using your willpower. But for the most part, our cravings are dictated by hormones, which are these chemicals that are secreted in one part of the body and have an impact on, uh, you know, somewhere else in the body. They're like long range messengers. And just having one night of poor sleep, your hormones become dysregulated. And most people end up consuming about four to 500 calories additionally the next day you become essentially pre-diabetic temporarily uh after one night of poor sleep so Mm. yeah it's really you can't mess with sleep sleep is sacred so if we put the blame on hormones which that's not what you're doing but if if we if we did that then the question be what dictates the hormones and then there's other more abstract perspectives on that like how posture affects our hormones you know so this i've i've said this probably too many times on this podcast, but, um, you know, there's the, the study where you're in the hunched over position, two minutes, saliva samples, testosterone ends up 
going down. Cortisol, stress hormones end up going up from being in those positions. Wow. Um, the inverse happens when you're standing in a strong, upright, hmm. superwoman position. You know, so it's, again, it's it's just interesting where it's like, oh, it's the, the, the hormones. And it's like, well, that, that's the food. And then it's like, well, but it's, it's also posture. And they're like, oh, and then there's also the environmental effect. Yeah. You know, so. It's all, it's all related. Um, but yeah, sleep, you know, I mean, you feel pretty crappy when you're underslept. And <laughs> I think it's, I think it's the first thing that you should really look at optimizing before trying to make other, other changes to your diet, just because it can become so hard. I mean, when you're underslept, you're basically operating in survival mode, essentially. And your brain wants sugar because mm. this is a relatively rare, uh, compound for the vast 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 majority of our of our evolution sugar was a, a life-saving um energy source essentially available only seasonally in the form of wild fruit and so when we're underslept it really kind of messes with us it makes it more difficult to regulate emotions um i cite a little bit of, a, a little bit of this research in the book actually that your prefrontal cortex becomes less active which is sort of the hub of self-awareness and higher level cognitive cognitive functioning and so when you're underslept similarly to when you're watching a movie for example and your prefrontal cortex goes dark and it allows that immersion into the movie mm. when you're underslept you become less able to contextualize your emotions that's why and i experienced this firsthand which is actually the first this is how i first stumbled upon this insight was that when i went through a pretty horrible breakup a long time ago it was like eight years ago now um i realized that i really felt the pain of the heartbreak most when i was underslept whereas mm. when i had a good night's sleep I, f I felt a lot better about it um hmm. yeah so it, it, it basically better it better allows your brain to contextualize uh, stressful and, you know, fear-inducing stimuli. Do you think there's value of going into the heartbreak and maybe putting yourself in a more vulnerable place to allow yourself to really feel that shit? I mean, probably <laughs> if you're a masochist, yeah. I mean, the, there's got to be some value to it. But, um, I mean, conversely, that same thing uh, I've found to be it's interesting because I would say that in many ways my performance is at the top of its game when I'm when I'm well slept. But as a creative uh, communicator, mm -hmm. you know, somebody who has like I have, my background is in TV and you know I do a lot of on camera stuff. I actually find I my performance is also improved in that regard when I'm underslept. Yeah, because it reduces self awareness. It takes your shield down. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I find it's, you know, some of my, and thankfully these days I don't really uh, experience this all too often, but I remember when I had my TV show on Current, um, I don't know, like 10 years ago, I would remember I was obviously in my, in my mid-20s, and I would remember that when I was like really hungover, because um, I would drink in my, in my mid-20s and I would occasionally feel, feel hungover. Um, as people do. no judgment here on the live no podcast <laughs> that the next day when I was shooting on set I would like be like funnier and I yeah. would have more witty banter and stuff like that which is interesting because I was like how I mean being hungover is horrible but at the same time there's got to be a reason for the fact that I am feeling a lot sharper maybe not sharper sharper is not the right word just you, I had less you of were a too filter. sharp yeah. yeah yeah I think that that's like uh I feel the exact same way where it's... There's a different kind of cognition, but... 
Yeah. yeah, and it gives you also the permission to explore. You know, a lot of people do that as a as a defense mechanism. They kind of like never really try. You know, so we'll do that like when we're singing. I'm like blah blah blah. You know, I'm not like really getting into it. Yeah. You know, be use that as some degree of protection. But I think we could use that as protection as well. You're like, oh, I'm not at my best right now. Hmm. So fuck it. Yeah. I'm just gonna throw it on the wall and see what comes out. And then all of a sudden, it gives you that permission to be creative. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think what that is is flow. Mm. You know, I mean, it's basically uh, a way of getting around self-awareness and the chatter of the ego and really getting to your true, you know, uh, just basically reducing the friction Mm -hmm. between like your subconscious mind and what is able to come out of your mouth. Yeah. 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 That's uh, what is the quote? There's a Voltaire quote. I'm going to get smart. Oh, actually, I'm not going to get smart because I'm going to say it wrong. Maybe more avocados. Uh, but medicine is the is the art of entertaining the patient while uh, your own while nature actually takes care of the problem. You Interesting. Know, Wait, say that one more time. Oh, I'm going to say it differently. <laughs> so Look it up. So medicine is the art of entertaining the patient while nature actually cures the disease. Interesting. That was pretty close, I yeah, think, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think it's on something. Wow. You know, so I think that that's a lot of the stuff that we're doing in, like, the bio. We were talking about biohacking quotations beforehand. Yeah. Like, what do you think of biohacking? I'm like, well, I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, you know, but I think that a lot of the stuff that we're doing, we're just doing this song and dance, and it's all shamanistic ceremonies. I wave the feather over. I do the little bells. I have the oil. That's all the same. I have this super potion coffee in my hand right now, you know, and it says right on the label what it does for you. Boom. Let's yeah. get started. It's happened. It's already happened. You read the label. Well, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think like you and, you know, um, I mean, I'm sure other, other mutual friends that you've had on the podcast, I think, and I would put myself in that, in that category. And I, you know, I, I think that like, we are the equivalent of like the modern day healers, you know, because you don't, and I have utmost respect for the, for the field of medicine, but you don't go to see a doctor, especially in the Western style of medical practice to be healthy. You go to be not sick. You go to be not broken or not injured or not infected. Hmm. You know, usually the way that medicine works today is you go, if you're not feeling well for whatever reason, and they usually prescribe some kind of pharmaceutical drug to treat the symptom that you're experiencing, whatever that is. But at the end of the day, you know, people, every person is their own end of one experiment. And what you're doing with your podcast and your platform is really inspiring people to go out and um, see what works for them to tinker with their own health and to in- indulge in healthy practices. And, you know, maybe we don't have the randomized control trial to, um, prove, you know, in the, in under scientific scrutiny that certain things work, but we might never have those, those kinds of studies, you know? Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, science is like, let's just look at the randomized control trial, which is hailed as being the gold standard of medical evidence. We can't prove anything unless there's a randomized control trial that exists to prove it. Um, and, but on the other hand, um, you know, those, those studies are, they really only look at averages and they're not without, without fault. And averages of unhealthy people traditionally. Yeah. Depending on what, if we're in a, if we're in an aquarium with a bunch of sick fish and the water's polluted and you're taking averages from that, what are we, what are we looking at? Right. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like we're looking for optimal health. Right. And then you're comparing yourself to someone that's like, well, they're in a sick pool. Yeah. 
I'm not exactly. saying that's always the case, but I think that there's a chance that that happens a lot. Totally. And also, I mean, if you take a population and you say that this population, you know, improved by X on whatever, you know, clinical outcome you're looking at, that improvement, say it's, you know, there's a 40% improvement. That's an average improvement. So half of the people that were studied probably improved by, you know, X amount, but then the other half could have had a, a reduction in their in that outcome or have a, had a decrease in health, for example. And mm -hmm. what you're only seeing is that um, is the average of both parties, right? For example, and uh, nobody wants to be average. Yeah, screw that noise. Well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And most pharmaceuticals are not without um, side effects, and everybody's different. And you know, physicians have to write a shit ton of prescriptions to treat effectively one person it's called uh, in medicine it's called a number needed to treat every drug has its own nnt or number needed to treat mm. so for example you might need to prescribe a drug to 100 people to save one heart you know to prevent one person from having a heart attack for example um and that would be fine like seat belts you know how many people have to wear seat belts as a law to prevent one person from dying in a car accident a lot but that's okay because seatbelts don't have any negative side effects. That's not the case with drugs. Hmm. And so I like to remind people that, um, you know, it's always better if possible to look at your diet and lifestyle because healthcare is really something that I think happens where you are, wherever you are, not in the doctor's office. It happens in your kitchen, happens in your gym, happens when you're standing outside to get some sun yeah. on your lunch break. I mean, that's, that's where I think health really happens. Wanted to take a quick break and thank our sponsor, Organifi, for supporting the show. Organifi is a rad company. I utilize their superfood blends on a daily basis. Um, holding in my hands the green juice right now, filled with all the green powders your little heart could desire, from uh, wheatgrass to spirulina to chlorella to matcha. Really excellent stuff. Highly recommend checking them out. They also do protein blends that are vegan, as far as I can see. So the protein they're using in here is pea protein, quinoa protein, and pumpkin seed protein. Everything's organic. Everything's delicious. Highly recommend checking them out. So go Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com and utilize the Align code for 20% off. Organifi.com, Align code, A-L-I-G-N, 20% off. Get that stuff. Thank you guys so much for tuning in back to the show. Pow. There's another dubious fact that I... I I conjured up recently is something like it says seven, it takes about 17 years for cultural ideas to shift, you know, before you, you, a, a belief system will actually evolve into, you know, okay, cool. We believe it. That's, like, that's the same st statistic for how long it takes on average for, uh, scientific discoveries to be put into practice into day-to-day -day clinical care. So I don't uh, know if you're, if you're referring I to I think I might be saying the same thing and wording it, yeah. wording, it like, yeah. wording it incorrectly the way I do so many things. Well, in either case, <laughs> shocking. Nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> but so with that, though, uh, it's, it's an interesting time. So that's essentially, if you, if you look at that, it's like, okay, so that means essentially that we have like 17 years of blank space if we choose to only trust what we're being told. You know, so things like, you know, whatever, it doesn't need to be psychoactive. Ecstasis is a, is a great example. You know, so Stephen Collar and Jamie Wheeler, a recent mm -hmm. book, um, Stealing Fire, thinking in all these various states of ecstasis and the various impacts that that has on our biology, on our psychology. 
you know, but a lot of those ecstatic states, we don't have the, the beaker or the measuring system to get on it. So what that ends up doing is the highest percentage of, of folks end up just disregarding it. Hmm. But meanwhile, it's like, well, maybe give it 13 years and we'll have some freaking studies yeah. but until then get after it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's safe. get in there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and also you got to take into account the fact that like medicine today is an. I mean, it, on the one hand, it's a, it's an academic, um, you know, field of study and all that stuff, but it's also very much an industry and studying nutrition is extremely difficult to do. It's underfunded. Um, and so when it comes to recommendations that are safe and that are grounded in evolutionary principles, um, I think we, you know, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, we needn't wait for those studies to be published before we, uh, take steps because, mm. you know, most of these, chronic diseases that are burdening society. And I'm particularly passionate about dementia, obviously, but these begin decades usually before the diagnosis or the first symptom. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could take, you could take type two diabetes. 66% of people in the United States are either diabetic or no, sorry, half of the people in the United States are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. And th this is something that's, uh, basically diagnosed by your doctor when they see chronically elevated levels of blood sugar, but chronically elevated levels of insulin can precede chronically elevated levels of blood sugar by a decade before you have that diagnosis mm. and chronic, chronic, you know, chronically elevated levels of insulin is no bueno. I mean, it's, that's, you know, it's thought that 40% of Alzheimer's cases might be owed to chronically elevated insulin. It's insulin is the body's chief anabolic growth hormone. So, I mean, I have no doubt that there's a, uh, connection between that and cancer, you know, oncogenesis. And of course it also makes us fat because insulin is basically like a one way valve on our fat cells. So, hmm. um, so yeah, I would say don't wait to be, uh, you know, diagnosed. I would say, take, take these steps today. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so the, the way that I depicted it, the view that I was coming from was, was this is going to come out in the future, but then what you're saying as well of everything we're saying right now, it's, it's kind of like light coming from a star. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, you're, you're, right. yeah. you're seeing it hit your eyes and yeah. you're interpreting that information. Yeah. Dude, that light is fucking light years old. Yeah. <laughs> That's a brilliant analogy. Yeah. It's so true. <laughs> so the, the, all the stuff that we think we know presently, it's almost, it's just waiting to be disproven. I think that's like the nature of science. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. Yeah, definitely. Science. <laughs> yeah. Science is slow. Um, it's, you know, yeah, I just think, and it's, it's good to feel good. You know, too many, too many people I think feel crappy. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think, you know, chronic disease, talking about disease will only get you so far. It's not sexy. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, these same things that you can do, to minimize your risk, also make you feel better. Mm. That's the whole thing is like, you know, nobody likes to feel depressed. What if you can change your diet in a way that makes you feel happier? What if you can change your diet in a way that makes you feel less anxious about life? I mean, certainly we're living in, an, in anxiety provoking times, but um, there's no question that eating poorly uh, to me can help promote um, undue anxiety. And that's, that's not something that I think people should live with. What have you gathered from working, doing like the Dr. Oz show and all that 
stuff? What have you learned from that environment? Like, what is that like? Yeah. Being like, okay, you have five minutes <laughs> to do something. That's oh my god! It's it's first of all, I love it. Um, it's allowed me to meet a lot of really interesting people. Um, I met one of the you know doing the Dr. Oz show. I met one of the top Alzheimer's researchers in the world at Harvard, Rudy Tanzi. We we're just backstage in the green room together. Um, I got to meet. That was the first time I ever met Tim Ferriss going on the Dr. Oz show. Um, but yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, I love, I love talking about this stuff to people of all ages. So, you know, I mean, millennials aren't big TV watchers these days, but it doesn't bother me. I love talking to Dr. Oz's audience. They're, they're incredible. Um, it's also showed me just how much, uh, you know, confusion there is surrounding nutrition because, you know, when I get onto the show and the red light goes on, I just want to like do a brain dump of everything I know. But what I've learned doing the show so many times is that you really got to spell it out for people because yeah. people are, they lead very busy lives. Also, many people in the United States are strapped for cash. Um, accessibility is a big thing, you know, making food, making, you know, pr put, delivering your message in a way that is actually approachable to most people is something that I've become really conscious of. Um, you know, we tend to kind of navigate these waters in between like New York and LA where we have access to healthy food. We're surrounded by affluent people, but my passion is really, uh, you know, or, you know, one of my passions I would say is to get this message out beyond the echo chamber of the paleosphere, um, you know, on the internet and to really get it to the people that are most vulnerable. Um, and so the Dr. Oz show, the doctors, I mean, it's been incredible for me to, you know, to have that as a platform. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's really helped me, I think, become a better, better communicator. Um, and yeah, that's such an important thing. Yeah. It's such an important thing. The, uh, as so doctor means teacher. Yeah. Um, you know, so with that, the best medicine would be the one that the person's able to digest. Yes. Yeah. And the best workout protocol is, you know, the exercise that you like doing the most, right? It's like, um, you have to enjoy these interventions. You've got to enjoy the food that you're eating. That's why diets fail at the end of the day, right? Because people go on these temporary diets that are not sustainable. You got to really adopt these things and, and turn them into a, into a lifestyle. Some of the tips that I, that I like to offer people, um, you know, I think it's one, I think first of all, writing down your goals is really important. They've shown that when you actually write down your goals, they're more likely to manifest. It's called self-authoring. Hmm. Um, so for people that want to, you know, do a, a dietary or lifestyle change, I think, you know, put, put these ideas down on paper, um, hang them on your fridge. I also think it's really important to, um, yeah, I think, you know, the notion of finding foods that you like and buying those foods on loop, really important. So get into a routine, um, you know, dietary diversity for a hunter-gatherer, I think probably a very good thing, but dietary diversity in the modern American supermarket, not so great. The healthiest people tend to buy the same healthy foods, a, a narrower range of healthy foods mm. over and over again. I certainly do this. Every time I go to the supermarket, I'm stopping, stocking up on avocados, nuts, uh, blueberries, dark leafy greens. I always throw a bar of dark chocolate into the mix. Always got to have some extra virgin oil. I buy these foods on loop. Um, the other thing I think really important for, for most people is to create a sort of inner rule book. Um, 
You know, I think it's it's a lot uh, easier to skip the self-negotiation when you when you have a rule for yourself. You know, it's one of the reasons why, um, you know, people that are it's kind of a joke, on, a running joke on the internet. But if you're gluten free, if you're vegan, if you're paleo, people tend to adhere to these diets religiously um, because they've basically adopted them as identities. So by turning a sort of shift in your in your diet and lifestyle into an, a new identity that you're adopting i think that can be extremely helpful so you know one good rule would be you're only going to buy the foods that are on the environmental working groups dirty dozen list in their organic form only like that's just your rule you know or uh you know you're only going to eat red meat when it comes from a grass-fed cow you know, and you, for example, don't, you won't eat it unless it comes from a grass-fed cow. You're only going to consume dairy if it's grass-fed. Things like that, I think, are, are really important. And that just becomes who you are. A, you embed it into your identity, and it becomes a lot easier to uphold those rules. As I think we were talking about before the, before the podcast started rolling, community is, mm-hmm. is super helpful. Um, I think people, uh, we live in a time where it's so amazing that we're able to build communities you know that transcend geography around our passions and our interests so use your community to to support you um but sometimes we can also dilute our communities because they've transcended that tribal connection where we actually have time to be with each other that was a part of what i was saying with with the community thing i think it was actually a separate part but oh no we recorded this part we were saying like I, i find the podcast to be therapeutic yeah yeah, because it's like, oh, cool, we're like working right now. Yeah, kind of, you know. And so it's like, cool, we're gonna just have drop in. Yeah, and just have a conversation. Yeah, you know. And that's the whole intention is just to see where we can go and yeah. like feel good and feel relaxed and comfortable, explore. Yeah, like how often do we we just don't feel like we we have time. You know, and so we end up missing everything ends up be, being very do based. And I think even relationships can become do based as well. How does this relationship serve my my thing? Yeah, I mean, I think every like relationships shouldn't be transactional at all. But I think you, you know, we they are, though. Well, it's always I think I think it's not naive to say that we always uh you know, we're, we're in relationships with people that we benefit from, um, in some way. Right. I mean, everything that we do, we, we benefit from in some way. Otherwise we wouldn't do them. Mm -hmm. I don't think. I notice as you're talking, you have a, uh, um, a, I think more robust vocabulary than I do. (laughs) And so as you're, as you're speaking, I'm like, Oh cool. I'm kind of like gathering some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) We learned two words already today, right? Well, you learned a word and I learned a word. I've already used it purview. Yeah. Probably used it incorrectly. Rewind the podcast. Purview, bespoke. Bespoke. What is Um, it? Can we define bespoke? Bespoke means custom. So if you have a bespoke career, (laughs) like you have a bespoke career, I have a bespoke career. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's cool. Mm. Um, yeah, words are great, man. Did you know in Vietnam, I've mentioned this one as well, um, but in Vietnam they don't use the subjunctive form of. I don't grammar. know what that means. What's this? <laughs> I don't know what it means either. Move on. I was hoping you were gonna tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so <laughs> subjunctive form. So subjunctive form is if if I was man, if I would have been there, I would have kicked his ass. Interesting. You know, oh man, if she would have said that, I would have fill in the blank. So I wow. would have. Yeah. 
you know, so, um, Americans, Westerners in general, we tend to live a lot in the in that I would have, you it's know, so in that, that past. Thing. I love language, words, and this is something I've become like obsessed with. And I don't, I mean, when I think about myself, having a big vocabulary is not a way that I would describe myself. But, um, but I think I'm obsessed with uh, using words in their purest form and knowing and because i think that a word is a device a word is a form of technology mm. you know we've created these little devices and we we can use them in very specific ways and there's a perfect word for anything that you're trying to convey or phrase and i think it's really fun to try to come up with something and then try to find the perfect word if i misuse a word and you'll like i do this on podcasts all the time but if i misuse a word <laughs> I'll go back and I'll restate the sentence. I don't just like bulldoze over the word. <laughs> right. And sometimes I probably st still end up using words wrong, but I think it's, uh, okay. I think it's like, it's just like, I don't know. Since I'm a kid, I, when it comes to pronunciation, I'm the same way. Like I really, you pronunciated, pronunciate very well. I want to, I just want to pronounce, <laughs> if there's a way to pronounce things growing up, I had a little bit of like a New York accent cause I grew up in New York and I, I shed it because Somebody once made fun of the way that I, in school, like elementary school, said water. Oh, yeah. East Coast style water. W-U-D-D-E-R. Yeah. Me too. But then I think since then I've started like, you know, saying water or something, you know. Like, I, just, we, I don't even know how to say it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <Now that we're laughs> I mean, ultimately, ultimately it doesn't matter. But going back to like words and definitions, I think it's, um, it's basically words are what you use to program the brain of another human being. I mean, it's like there's computer programmers. I think uh, the legal profession is a form of programming. You're programming relationships with words. So the words that you use in a legal document are really important. Hmm. Um, and so too, when you're, when you're speaking, um, the word that I use can have a very, you know, specific effect on your brain and the way that you think about things. And it's just like, so cool to me. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very cognizant of that with uh, working with clients, and so um, one one thing this isn't necessarily related to clients, but it could relate to anything. I pretty much avoid the word "but." Hmm. Just don't say it. Hmm. Most times when you're gonna say this, but unless you're using it for effect, yeah. like I intentionally swear sometimes. I think I've sworn already probably five times. Yeah. In this, but each time there's intention behind it. Yeah. You know, the intention is to lighten the mood up, get us out of fact-based conversation. Yeah. We're just bullshitting. Yeah. You know, so it's like it's kind of like okay, cool, permission granted to kind of like. I think it's drop down. Super smart. I think it's a good example of using using your words impeccably and using them sort of like a like a limited resource you know like cash you yeah. just like throw your cash around right using words especially words that are as powerful as, as curse words mm -hmm. um and are as evocative as curse words curse words using them uh really deliberately and even today like when i can't think of the right word or when i catch myself using the wrong it drives me crazy and i don't always use the right word but it definitely sends me to Google to, to try to find the right word that it is. I find reading paper books or Kindle, whatever, but, but reading books um, over like listening to Audible or something like that, uh, I find that expands my vocabulary mm. greater. I don't know what that, if there's anything about that. Have you, have you found that at all or not really? Yeah, I don't know. I get a lot from language, like listening to people speak. Um, and uh, reading, yeah, I'm... I love to read, but I'm definitely much more of a verbal 
like learner. I think there's something, I think probably just different learners. Uh, I think, I think, yeah, there's something about seeing it. And then if I don't know a word, I'll rewrite it. Hmm. I'll highlight it. You know, so it just adds that affirmation. Yeah. Whereas if I listen to it, it's, it's slipperier. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wonder, I mean, I definitely, it's been a process trying to figure out the best way that I learn. I, my grades were not great in school, which is like, you know, I've always had a passion for health and science, but uh, I always struggled to make good grades. And I think that's in part due to the fact that, you know, we go through these assembly line educations and people just learn differently. Right. Um, if I had to do it all over again, I'd be like, look, teach, I need a standing desk um, or a treadmill desk. Dave, <laughs> yeah. I need a blow job. Every <laughs> <laughs> we, we need a fluffer in this classroom. We need a fluffer. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, that's. It's uh, it's terrible. We haven't instilled that in, the, oh my in God. the system yet. Where'd you go to school, man? Pennsylvania. Yeah, you know, like if we had things like Audible growing up, it probably would have been a lot easier for me. I definitely struggled, um, but movement is really helpful with consolidation of memories as well. So if you read something, if you learn something, I'll notice this. Yeah. I, I'll inadvertently do this while writing. I will, you know, I'll, I'll like have the stuff will come out, you know, I'll be researching, trying to put stuff together, connect ideas. And then I'll like have to take a walk hmm. and it'll be like, not like my thinking so hard or whatever, but I just, I'll feel this sensation of almost almost like blowing off steam hmm. during, during that time frame. You're also, you know, you're doing contralateral movement. You're hmm. doing this like crisscross pattern, integrating hemispheres of the brain, plus everything else that's happening, Yeah, you know, but it, it allows you to kind of take that information and actually like permeates. Definitely. There was a, and there was good research that uh, was published, I think in 2017 where they took Japanese students that were teaching a different language and they had them ride on a bicycle, like an aerobic exercise bicycle while they were learning. And they found that the exercisers when compared to, to the controls, I think it was like six months later had retained what they had learned much, much better mm. um, than the people that learned it statically. And they've done very similar research on children where children that were, that were taught on a standing desk did better than children that were taught sitting. I mean, amazing, amazing research and really um, highlights the fact to me that, uh, you know, that we're meant to move. Mm. Um, you know, I think, uh, and everybody's different at the, at the end of the day, but exercise definitely can help you um, just in terms of focus, attention, uh, and as it turns out, apparently retain what you're learning as well. Yeah. Sweet, man. We're probably, we probably need to wrap this thing up. 58 oh, minutes. Look at that. Wow. Exactly an hour. I had a sense. Well, it's 120 seconds off technically, but I kind of had a, had a, had an inkling. Uh, how do people, well, it will be in exactly an hour cause you're going to still say some more stuff. How do people, <laughs> how do people find your thing and man. do all that stuff? How do people get the new books? Are we cool? Well, not sorry. I think that was great, but we, we went down some wormholes. Dude. Awesome. Back to genius foods. Back to genius foods. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, anywhere books are sold, pick it up. Genius Foods, get one for yourself. It's a, it's designed to be a treasure trove of information. Um, you know, lots of sidebars and, and you could read it all the way through, which I hope people do, but you can also treat it as a reference. It's also fun to read. I really took a uh, great, you know, effort into making sure that, um, it's told like a story and that there are ample analogies and that there's humor. There's a, it's actually a unique book because there's a ton of pop culture references in Great. it because it, you know, I come from a, a sort of media background. I wanted to sort of pay respect to that. 
Um, so Genius Foods, and then, yeah, I'm all over social media, so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Come find me. Say hi. Cool. What is your handles on there? At Max Lugavere. Bam. Boom. Thanks so much. Dude, thank you. Recording terminated. 59 seconds. No, 59 minutes. 14 seconds. Bam. Align Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. There's some ways that you can support this podcast, one of which you can pick up an Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band. comes along with a door anchor and a carrying case and a video guide on how to mobilize those joints and integrate that body of yours. Really great stuff. You can be found at aligntherapy.com and also on amazon.com. Um, thank you also so much for or utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the right-hand sidebar of the podcast page. Bookmark that thing. Anytime you purchase some crap on Amazon, purchase that crap. Through that link, we get percentage of it. Costs you nothing. And I think that's enough. Thank you guys so much for reviews on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Pow.